Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast, we talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places a dive, and scuba new news. Scuba Obsessed Episode 323 is recorded live March 23rd, 2017. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan, where I do believe we are getting to that time of the year where diving becomes more plentiful. Joining me this week, we have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? I am doing just great. Thank you, Darren. And how are you? I'm doing wonderful. It's uh, We're getting some nice weather, and I feel like I'm getting caught up on some projects this, this early I don't know, you call this an early spring or uh, an, an, an early to end winter, but uh, things are, I'm, I feel like I'm getting stuff done, taking advantage of it. Uh, and then we have uh, Mac, who's going to be taking a week off, and we also have Kevin taking a week off, so they'll catch up with us next week or so. And uh, also like to you're thank just, you. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you're just stuck with me tonight. Excellent. Well, I don't, I don't consider myself stuck. That's, that's a great opportunity. We got some catching up to do. We've we've gone through show season and and I bet you've got uh, you probably have gotten a little bit more diving in than I have so uh, we can catch up on that. All right. And I'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room. We have uh, Scuba Tech who's in there. We have S Nelson who's in there as well. So we'll get started and jump right on into the news. The first article, the lead article, and and this one actually caught me a little bit by surprise is Providence is selling Patty to wealthy families and endowments. Providence Equity Partners LLC agreed to sell Scuba Certifier Professional Association of Diving Instructors, uh, that we affectionately know as Patty, to a group of wealthy families and endowments for more than $700 million. This is according to people familiar with the matter. The consortium includes uh, philanthropists who are drawn to Patty's effort to promote ocean conservation as well as its business. People familiar with the deal said the purchase of the company through an, an well, let me see an entity dubbed Mandarin Fish Holding, named for Pacific Ocean dwelling fish whose vivid orange, blue, and green colors make it a favorite of some divers. Orange County, California-based Patty is the world's largest diving membership and training organization, having issued more than 25 million certifications. This is according to its website. Scuba equipment salesman John Cronin and swimming and diving instructor Ralph Erickson founded it from their homes in the Chicago suburbs in 1966, offering membership and courses, training material to dive shops and resorts. Providence bought the company from a private equity firm, Lincolnshire Management, in 2015 and helped it expand into China and upgrade its e-commerce system. It tripled its investment on the sale, according to a letter to investors reviewed by the Wall Street Journal. Paddy's new ownership reflects a shift in investing landscape. Its buyers included so-called family offices, which manage the fortunes of, of the wealthy. These organizations have long invested in private equity funds, but they're increasingly cutting out the money managers and doing their own private equity-style deals. 
By doing so, investors avoid paying private equity firms fees for managing buyouts and have greater flexibility to hold businesses for many years. Rhode Island-based Providence has invested in several companies, including sports, live entertainment, active pursuits. A firm last year sold sports marketing company Leaderfeld Communications for a return about 2.9 times its investment, the journal reported. It sold Ironman triathlon operator World Triathlon Corp. to China's Dylan Wanda Group in 2015, quadrupling its investment. Dutch Bank AG advised Patty in the deal, according to people familiar with the matter. So $700 million. Mm. And uh, to me, it seems to be a good indication that these people didn't buy it because they expected it to lose money. They think it's going to make money. So it uh, must be something that they saw making them think that this is going to be a good investment. Well, Patty's going, well, not to say they haven't been global, but they're reaching globally. And I think that's going to open up a lot of things, especially they've uh, they're doing a lot more online instruction instead of having to sit through a classroom and leaving the teaching to your individual instructor. They've standardized with online classes, web-based classes, mm-hmm. and then that's supplemented by the individual instructors when they're spending time with the students in the water. Yeah, I think as long as you can get the information to the students in a way that they enjoy uh, and keep them hooked, I'm hoping that some that might be an advantage of the online. I know uh, one of the guys who has made their app that is doing that, so I may have to reach out to him and see what his opinions are in the sale. Mm. Uh, but I, I see it as a good thing, both for the divers and just as a sign of uh, confidence that diving is going to continue to grow. Uh, we see numbers increasing, like you mentioned, in China and also uh, India. Yeah. You know, and a, with, a, with a few billion-plus people between those two markets, that's plenty of growth. Uh, let's see. Next up, we have uh, we had Craig Rich on the show last week. Uh, and based on that, there is the dive show coming up in Holland on March 25th. Underwater video and some of the deepest dives in the Great Lake shipwreck history will be highlighted in the 19th annual shipwreck show, Mysteries and Histories Beneath the Inland Sea. The show will take place at the Knickerbocker Theater, 86 East 8th Street in Holland on Saturday, March 25th. Holland-based Michigan Shipwrecks Research Association sponsors the annual show as part of its mission to reach and discover shipwrecks in the Great Lakes, then document and present their findings to the public. So that is one, as uh, we talked about last week, if you're going to go, you want to, uh, if you didn't get a chance to get tickets in advance, you want to get to the door early because it is sold out for the last several years. Yes, it has. That's always a great show. I mean, it's uh, just a one-evening event, but they've... Uh... Always do fantastic presentations. And if you want to know more about them, you can visit their website, www.michiganshipwrecks.org. And one of the advantages of membership is instead of paying the ticket fee, which is $12.50 in advance and $15 at the door, uh, members get in for free, from what I understand. Right, with a membership. And then this next article I thought was a good one. This one was out of uh, deeperblue.com. And uh, they had looked into Dan's uh, 16th annual report, and they had identified Dan's top 10 most wanted improvements in scuba diving. Uh, so we'll, we'll give you the first few just to what your appetite, but if you want the rest of them, you're going to have to visit their website, deeperblue.com. Uh, and the article says, uh, scuba diving is safe when properly trained. If you're not a certified diver, then information this article might have the tendency of putting you off diving. Don't let it. 
The report does point out that only two out of every million dives results in a death in the United States. There is an on average of only one emergency room visit per 100,000 dives. Uh, so the first item on their list is they're saying that, uh, and this again is what Dan would like to see in improvements, is correct weighting. Uh, they say that diving with the correct weights is critical for safe diving. We hear it over and over again, yet it still becomes one of the triggers of a diving mishap. If you read the annual report, you'll find case studies where divers being grossly overweighted. One of the fatal causes concerning a diver using a steel tank at the bottom after being observed sinking from a safety stop was not being properly weighted. He was found with a fully inflated BC, and he had removed his weight belt. However, it's not enough to become positively buoyant at the depth where he was found. The diver had 50 pounds of weights, but only 17 pounds of that was on his weight belt. Another uh, drowning case involved the diver 20 pounds overweighted. If you read through further down into the articles, uh, greater buoyancy control, mm-hmm. better ascent rate control, uh, fewer equalizing injuries, all those tie into weighting. If you're not properly weighted, you're going to have a real hard time managing your depth and your ascent rates. And, you know, so the first one triggers two or three others. And, and I certainly agree with that. I've had occasion where my weighting has not been ideal. Uh, we move from, you know, Great Lake diving to river diving, and it's not uncommon for us to change weights for the conditions. And then also, uh, you know, the holidays we may we may partake a little bit more than we should, and that can also change some weighting. So it's good to make sure that as you change the diving seasons, you get properly weighted. But I find it much more enjoyable to dive properly weighted. Uh, you know, it, it, it just yeah, seems to be like, definitely. like that um, buoyancy control. Sorry. I, I was going to say that buoyancy control, when you're properly weighted, you're not, you're not fighting it. It seems like everything gets kind of touchy when you're overweighted. Yeah. And if you're doing any kind of up and down swimming, you know, if you're just going to go to the bottom and you weight yourself a couple of feet off the bottom and you stay there, that's one thing. But if you're swimming around a wreck where you're going up and down and over and under and through, it makes it much more difficult. I know one of the things I have found most divers um, that I've experienced are overweighted. Um, it's just common to be overweight and you'd be surprised how much weight you can shed. You know, there's been a lot of tricks that say, you know, when you're on the surface, you should dump everything and sink down to the eye level and everything else. But, you know, if you don't have to get rid of every bit of air in your dry suit and your BC to get off the surface, you're overweighted. Right. I, I certainly agree. Uh, and sometimes you got to give yourself a little time to work that air out. If you've got a, a wetsuit and you didn't prime it beforehand and you've got air uh, captured in it, sometimes you need to let that work its way out. Plus, you're going to be you're going to lose a little buoyancy as you as you go down. So there's no reason to load yourself up to where you, you can sink like a rock. It's better to be to be definitely properly weighted. Um, and then they go on and talk about checklists and. Uh, uh, greater attention to your your dive limits, uh, improved cardiovascular health, uh, and and many of these things are are some that Mac has talked about in his uh, safety message. So uh, uh, certainly a good article. Go take a look at. We'll have it on our website www.scubaobsessed.com. 
uh, have to thank Jim Billings for keeping up on the website, and he usually has those up uh, within two or three days of the the podcast going live in iTunes and other channels. Let's see, what's the next one? Private dives to explore the Titanic have been announced. Uh, with up to four adventures at a time, it will be cozy inside a submersible. Uh, the Cyclops 2 has made a titanium carbon fiber and dives some two and a half meters to get an up-close uh, view of the Titanic wreck. The estimated cost is $105,000 per person. This is according to uh, CNN. Uh, we will spend about three hours exploring the wreck, focusing mostly in the bow section, the most impressive part of the wreck. Gliding over the ship's deck and powerful exterior lights will illuminate the cavern where Titanic's famous grand staircase was once located, according to the description from Ocean Gate, who's putting on the excursions. Your dive may explore the remains of the iconic bridge where the famous order hard to starboard and full speed astern was uttered or explore Titanic's massive debris field home to numerous artifacts strewn across the ocean floor. First excursions will depart the coast of Newfoundland, Canada, slated for May 2018 with more dives expected following year. According to Blue Marble, scientist surveys will be conducted during the excursions as part of the Titanic survey expedition aimed at fully documenting and modeling the shipwreck. It'll be interesting to see how many of these they do. Um, I can't help but have a feeling that part of this is they're, they're fishing to see who's going to sign up. Because if you've only got one excursion plan and it's a year out, uh, you know, you're just you're just trying to fill the boat before you, you go anything too crazy. Yeah. I wonder how many trips they'll do per per tour. You know, if they you know the what size vessel they've got. Um, well, it's an eight day excursion for nine individuals, so that kind of answers my question. Yeah, but it's you're probably spending a day or two getting out there. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm going to say at least a day to get out there. Yeah. So you're going to have that. You're going to have the time to get out there. Uh, and then if you're doing three hours, I'm, I'm thinking that's going to limit it to maybe two dives a day. Maybe if what that. they would do. Yeah. And they really don't have to wait for, I mean, depending on how many pilots they have for the sub, uh, you know, they could alternate pilots, but you, yeah, they're going to have to charge batteries and do maintenance. And, and then you have to have some, uh, allotment for weather. Uh, if, if you cut it too close, you could have, uh, get blown out. So they're saying, ma'am, I'm hoping that would be a, a good time of the year where they're, it's not storm season. Mm, no, that part of the Atlantic, it's pretty good there. And we have the identity of a 17th century shipwreck has been revealed. Um, the 17th century shipwreck was off the Dorset coast. It was the so-called Swash Channel wreck discovered in a sand and single bank outside of Pool Harbor. Experts believe the Dutch merchant vessel is named the Fame, which foundered in a storm in March 1631. The name was revealed at an event to Markets Rudder, raised from the seabed in 2013, going on public display at Pool Museum. The 8.4 or 28 foot, 8.4 meter or 28 foot rudder, with a mustached face carved into it, has lifted to the Pool Quay and uh, Burnmouth University Marine Archaeologist in 2013 after almost a decade of investigation and excavation work. The wreck had been wow. initially discovered in the 1990s, although its name remained a mystery. Uh, they said following the, the raising of the rudder, historians were able to study historical records and analyze the timbers to confirm the ship as being the fame. 
Um, it's the right name and the right date and the right age of the timber. Everything fits, although you can never be sure. This is uh, Burmont University Marine Archaeologist Dave Pernham. The ship is most likely going from the Netherlands to America's using Pool as a stopping off point. It is a lens through which we can view the history of Pool. I tell you, if you don't look at any of the other articles from the chat room or from the uh, the notes Darren puts out, look at this one. The photos of that rudder and that carving are amazing. That's beautiful. I mean, that's a, that's uh, a time that's, where somebody invested in in that because I mean, you didn't you don't have to do that. That doesn't make the, the no. vessel float any better. No, that that's just artistry. And I'm wondering if potentially it could have been people on the ship sailing it who did it while they were sailing. I that would make sense to me. I mean, you've you've got a lot of time sitting out there. Uh, you probably look forward to a, a creative endeavor that you could do while at sea. Yeah, that'd be I mean, I think about at. I think about the uh, the guys who used to do. Uh, I think they call it war art. Uh, we've oh, got yeah. a piece in our basement where it was a, an old, uh, a huge uh, shell, like for an anti-aircraft mm-hmm. or an anti-ship shell, and they took a almost like a nail and carved uh, the whole brass head of this thing with a design. Yeah, uh, I, 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 my family's got one too. We had an uncle who who served over there and. Uh, in the brass part of the shell, you know, they they had taken all the yeah. the, the gunpowder out, but there, he had was, was doing the same thing with a nail. Had this, like Statue mm-hmm. of Liberty in it, and a lot of American uh, nostalgia type of items. But mm-hmm. you know that they spent a lot of time just sitting there doing that. Yeah, I think uh, the one we've got was done on a submarine. Wow, cool! Yeah, there's there's a that's a museum ex- exhibit just there. Just all those yeah. those types of things, and and you kind of see the same thing when on planes where you've got nose art, mm-hmm. that kind of mm-hmm. all goes together. Yep. And then this next article talks about some. Uh, well, it's actually a video, so uh, but it, it goes into some pre-dive knife care. So uh, take a look at the video. Go go visit the show notes, and it, it shows some of the things. Uh, this is off. Uh, it was actually out of San Francisco. This sfgate.com uh, website, and they were talking about how to, to properly take care of the dive knife. Uh, yeah, they said inspect for corrosion, including the blade locking mechanism. Uh, very light con- corrosion or buildup can uh, be cleaned with a trowel or toothbrush. Uh, check locking mechanism, sheath for, uh, sheath for locking or for lock for proper orientation if need. Lubricate the knife opening mechanism uh, and use some silicone on it. I'm going to put a commercial in here. Certainly. One of the biggest problems I have seen is knives falling out of their sheaths. Uh, you bang it, you bump it, you twist wrong, and the knife comes out. Either that or the knife won't come out. And when you need it, you're struggling to get it out. Aqualung has a about a four-inch knife that they offer. That's a double lock system. You have to squeeze it together to get it to pull out of the sheath. I have never seen anyone lose one of those unless they dropped it. It is not going to come out of the sheath when it's not supposed to, but yet it's very easy to get out of the sheath 
when you've got thick gloves on or even with the three-finger mitts, mm-hmm. it will come out and work great. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's a great product. It's probably the biggest selling knife I have in the shop, and it's because it is so easy to put in, easy to get out, but it's not going to fall out. Yeah, that, that's always a concern that I've had. I've got uh, one knife that's conveniently located. I have it on my inflator hose, uh, and and I like that one. That one seems to latch pretty well. But I have another knife that my wife got for me. It's a, it has a magnet on it, which I've never had the the instance to actually use the magnetic part. But where the knife fit into the sheath, it has two tabs, and one of those tabs broke almost instantly. So just moving the knife will fall out. So I haven't used the knife since that tab broke just because I need to come up with a better way of securing it. Mm. Um, so that, yeah, that would, sounds like a really good knife. I'll have to take a look at that. Uh, I'd like to have you know, more than one, uh, a nice backup. And, and we've talked about some, uh, penny cutters too for cutting leaders. Yeah. And then we have uh potentially cool scuba gear. Scuba jet presents a new slim design and function rings for divers. And I'm not familiar with this company, water jet. It looks like a, a compact scooter. Um, it's um, the new scuba jet, uh, smaller version of jet engine with streamlined operation design, simpler hand, handling due to redesign. A team was able to improve the power to weight ratio. Uh, it's 43 centimeters or 16 inches in length. It is 15 centimeters or six inches shorter than its predecessor with a measuring diameter of eight centimeters, three inches and weighs only three kilograms or six and a half pounds. Well, working at the same high-performance electrical drive mechanism as ever, three-phase sinus power management system allows high torque. Powerful motor with high efficiency comes standard with a 200-watt-hour lithium-ion battery with an optional 400-watt-hour uh, battery available to double your range. Generates 20 kilograms or 44 pounds of thrust. Uh, and this would be one I'd like to try. I, I like how small it is because some of these, uh, a lot of times it seems like if you've got a scooter, it, it's some, that's what you're doing. It's, it's almost like it's an activity. It's like the boat. You you really have to use a scooter. This one actually looks like something that you could, you know, strap or pack and use it and then just let it dangle for a while. Yeah, looking to see if they've got a depth, next depth on it down here. Let's see. I'm going to their website, which is www.scubajet.com. And, of course, they want me to sign in for something. Unique features. Um, Six-hour battery life. More about scuba jet. Water-cooled. Let's see. And they go on. on, uh, Oh, well, we'll have to spend some time taking a look at that one. Because I don't see anything about maximum depth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't either. Which well, would... d- dig into that one and give you an update next week. Okay, sounds good. And that does it for Scuba in the News. Uh, I'd like to thank WRVO Radio for putting us on the air again one more year. If you like hunting, fishing, or the great outdoors, you want to tune in to WRVO Radio. They've got something playing 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, visit the Scuba Obsessed website. Go down to the bottom, click on the footer, and you'll be able to find out how to listen. Also, while you're at it, you might want to uh, visit our website, www.scubaobsessed.com, and, and poke around. We we haven't promoted the fan map in a while, so go there, uh, uh, look in the About in the uh, fan map page, and uh, put your pin in the map. Uh, 
you know, give as much or as little information as you want. We're not collecting it for anything other than just wanting to see where you're from and who's listening to the show, and you can take a peek and see who else in your general area is also fans of the program. We love those five-star reviews. They, they help get us more listeners. So if you go to iTunes, uh, give us one of those ratings, uh, hopefully good. Uh, we are in the process of, of moving the hosting. Uh, the website's already on. It's all now secure socket, SSL, end-to-end encryption. So when you visit the website, not that I think people are really stealing the information about what you're doing, but it does make uh, it a little bit more secure. There's an initiative going on this year throughout the world of trying to get all websites encrypted. So we're playing around with that, and we've, en- we've encrypted it. Uh, let's see. Uh, Mud Club. If you like the Mud Club, uh, you can hear Mac talk about it. Visit the Mud Club website, mudclub.scubaobsessed.com. Uh, let's see. Does, uh, so let's uh, – d- how did you like the dive show uh, season? Did you get a chance to visit any? I went over to Our World Underwater. I spent Friday over there taking a class to get certified to do Poseidon regulators, which have been around forever and are very good regulators. They're a bit pricey, but they last. And mm-hmm. if you can get some of the old Poseidons with uh, the metal housings, they're always going to be around. Um, but um, I thought Our World Underwater... The show floor was smaller than it had been in the last few years. They've been, the floor appears to have been getting smaller and smaller, having fewer and fewer exhibitors. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very much a travel show, uh, at our world. In fact, they've got their show this week there, this weekend there. It's the Beneath the Sea show in New Jersey. That's this weekend coming up. So, and that's uh, probably the biggest show on the East Coast is Beneath the Sea. So, but the the seminars, I believe it is. I'm not sure, but I believe it is. Uh, I know the seminars um, are always good at these shows. They get some fantastic speakers, uh, and you can learn a lot of information. And it's a great place to. See new gear, see different ideas, see different configurations. Um, not that you have to buy the latest and greatest, but it's nice to see what's out there. Yeah, we, there was Do some a little dive, comparative shopping. There was, there was some dive manu, dive equipment manufacturers there. Uh, yep. GUI was there. Dive Right was there. You also had Dan, uh, some camera retailers, some uh, local Chicago area dive shops. So uh, if you were a new diver, I would certainly recommend your first gear in. Going there and, you know, actually splurge also for the seminars. And, and there's a lot of social. That's one of the things I saw being on some of the press release, uh, mailing lists for their, for them that they were, were trying to do more to get into that social atmosphere. I heard, I've heard some people complain since they moved from downtown out to the uh, airport that didn't seem to be as social. So they were, were changing some things up and trying to get that element, uh, represented in the show. Um, and then we had Ford Seahorses. Uh, Mac and Kevin got there. Did you get a chance to go? No, I had to work those weekends. Ah. And then uh, Ghost Ships was the following weekend, and uh, I think that was, has probably been two weeks ago now. Um, and I think Kevin went. I don't know if Mac made that one or not. Uh, I don't believe so. Yeah. 
I don't believe he made Ghost Ships. Ghost Ships is a great show if you're in the shipwrecks. Yeah, that seems to be the uh, one, uh, kind of like the, the old shows where there's uh, people who are actually discovering and, and diving in, on shipwrecks. And that's some of the, the researchers and uh, charters for some of the, the deeper uh, wrecks. Yeah. Um, speaking of deeper wrecks, I was looking at the MSRA show and they're featuring a uh, presentation on the Carl D. Bradley, which went down in 1958 and sits at 320 feet. So it's not a wreck mo- most of us are going to get to, but they've got uh, lots of video and multiple dives on it. Uh, so that'll be a great presentation to see. Yeah. And, and being at that depth, you know that it's in better condition some, than some of the shallower wrecks. Yeah, that that yeah. show's coming up uh, this weekend. Hopefully, I'll get this one edited and out. But it's possible that by the time you listen to this, the show's already passed. So uh, they, they've been doing this every year. I think was it eighteen, nineteen years? Yeah, ever since. Well, it started off um, as a fundraiser for the Southwest Michigan Underwater Preserve, I believe. Yeah, that's that's. And then the organizations organizations separated, and uh, MSRA continued with the. Uh, the spring show, which has been a big fundraiser for them. And they've done some fantastic work, uh, working with NUMA and working with Ralph Wilbanks, Clive Cussler, and also Dave Trotter. Mm-hmm. Um, between, uh, those three organizations, I think they've probably found a dozen or more wrecks in the last 10 years. Yeah. They've, they've done some excellent research and they, you know, you gotta be out there mowing along if you're going to find them. I mean, you can do a lot with the books in the libraries, but at some point you got to put the tow fish in the water and start dragging it around. And they've certainly done yep. a lot of that. And that takes fuel. You got to put a little petrol into the the out the outboard or inboard motor to get that uh, to move across the water like that. Yep, and a big part of it is attitude. I mean, you don't spend two or three days out there searching and coming up with nothing and saying, "Well, that was a waste of time." You've got to look at it and say, "Well." That's a whole bunch of lake that I know the wrecks are not in. Yes. Yeah. And, and you really have to find some way to enjoy that. It, it can be monotonous, but if, if you don't like being out on the water and in the thrill of the hunt, uh, because the finds are so far apart, you, you, it's not mm-hmm. like a gambler's rush. You know, they're not, you're, you're not finding a wreck every other day. You got to be able to sit in there for the long haul. Yep. Yep. Um, so uh, with with I was looking on my Facebook feed and I noticed that it was seven years ago we had already been out on the Havana by this time. So in year 2010 we had been on the Havana and I think that was my first Lake Michigan dive. Actually, was in the March and I don't think I appreciated at the time how rare it was to be out. I don't think since that time I've been able to get out in Lake Michigan. You know we've we've gotten out beyond uh, around the piers. But to actually be out on a wreck uh, hasn't happened. Have you heard of anybody getting out? No. Um, Kevin has been busy doing some inland lake work. And Bob Sweeney has been busy out in Hawaii. So he was catching up after a three-week vacation in Hawaii. Um, I know the commercial dive boats... um, I say commercial dive boats. The commercial divers have gotten their boats ready and have been running down to some of the job sites. They've had to dive, you know, the nuclear plants. They've been out. 
but I've not seen a lot of fishermen out on the lake yet. It's still, we had that early warm water, warm weather, I'm sorry, warm weather in April. Well, I'll get it out yet. Shoot, Darren, please edit all this out. <laughs> of course, we'll, we, we do fine editing. Right. We, we, you do do fine editing. <laughs> the, uh, I have not seen a lot of fishermen out. We had that warm weather in February that really messed everything up. And now we're paying for it in March with it being, being a little colder. But last I heard, it's supposed to be up in the high sixties, close to 70 tomorrow, which is a rare day around here in March. Yeah. It's actually thunderstorming right now. Oh, you're having thunderstorms. I, uh, when I came in tonight, I didn't, I didn't feel like it, but, uh, I'm so terrible about yeah. paying attention to weather. It's, uh, many times I'm surprised, surprised by yeah. it. Yeah. I've got thunder and lightning out here right now. So it's supposed to definitely warm up. It was in the low thirties this morning and this afternoon it was in the mid forties and it's supposed to be in the 60, close to 70 tomorrow. So we'll see how it ends up. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, we don't get a lot of rain. Um, the river, I was watching a few weeks ago, and it seemed to be quite high. Uh, but driving by it today, it seemed to be a little bit lower. So if we don't get a lot of rain, we may keep some of that runoff from getting the river all mucky. Yeah. And I, I didn't, we had a mug club meeting this week I didn't get a chance to go to. Did, do you know anybody who, who made it? No, I was planning to go, but ended up not making it. Yeah. yeah. So I think it was a light turnout, but I'm sure they had a good evening. Mm-hmm. It's always fun when you just get together with a group like that. And I think that's, you know, I don't know if we're a dive club or a social club with a dry, diving problem. Yeah. But we, uh, we get along well and I'm just thrilled with the way everybody works together in that club, uh, especially out on dives. Yes. You know, I keep telling people who come into the shop, we, we need to hook up with the dive club because they're great mentors and coaches. And, you know, I've seen people where somebody's sitting in the water getting, putting their fin strap on and, and it breaks. And someone else with, you know, who's still on land says, here, grab my fins. I got a spare pair back in the truck. Give me your broken ones and I'll run them up to your truck and I'll grab my, my spares and, you know, you use the ones I was going to use, and I'll use my spares and go start your dive. Oh, and they're I, just great. Yeah, and I can certainly attest that I have dove probably 20 times more in frequency just because of the dive club. I mean, there's if you don't have a boat, yeah. I mean, not that the, the dive club's a, a charter organization, but there's usually somebody who has a boat who's going out, and if you're, you know, you chip in a little bit of gas money and uh, help out with a little bit of the, the effort, uh, you can usually get to be a, uh, a crew member on a boat to go out and get a dive in. Also, they, they show you all the spots to go and dive. I didn't realize all the different locations that it is possible to go diving until I got in the dive club. And then it's just, it's much more fun to dive with friends. Uh, and they, they kind of keep everybody motivated and, and diving together. So that's, uh, cert- certainly been a great thing. I think all dive shops, uh, should be promoting or sponsoring a dive club because it would help. I mean, if you, if you're not diving, you can't wear out gear and you don't buy new gear and you, right. you can't see all the cool stuff that your dive buddies got. Like, uh, Bob, he keeps upgrading his gear and, and, uh, Kevin, 
uh, has, has, has gone over the dark side and has bought a rebreather. So this season we'll be able to hear yep. him talk about his experiences with learning how to do uh, uh, his tech diving. I don't know if he's going to start off tech diving on the rebreather or work his way there, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what his experiences are. And Bob's got his uh, heated underwear, which makes me envious sometimes. So uh, at the dive show, that was one of the items I was looking at. There's a few... Uh, different options for keeping warm underneath a dry suit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the the more diving people do with their friends, the the more opportunities a dive shop has to sell some some goodies. Yep, yep. Well, our shop sells a lot of used gear, and we yeah. buy a lot of used gear. We buy it back from people who want to upgrade or switch out, mm-hmm. and we take it from divers who have you know decided they don't want to dive anymore. Um, we'll buy it back. I'll give it a good inspection or a rebuild and we put it on the shelf and we sell it at a fair price. Yes. I think yeah. it's a fair price. I, I think so. I, I have not found an item, uh, and, and it's going to sound like a promotion for the, for Wolf's dive shop, but I have not found an item in there that I've, I thought was outrageous. At least I didn't feel like Wolf's was marking it up. Uh, very competitive prices. Uh, inventory just keeps getting better. Um, and you now have Nitrox. Yes. Yes. I was able to convince Warren that it's the right thing to do to, you know, you know, uh, get some Nitrox in the shop. We're, we've got enough people diving in that 60-foot-plus range where Nitrox makes a lot of sense. And so we're, we're offering Nitrox. We have oxygen. We can do oxygen fills. We can do Nitrox fills. So we're... We're getting into the 21st century. Next thing you know, we'll have one of those things called a computer and uh, be actually on the, the World Wide Web. Wow. <laughs> getting modern now. Now, we've we've computerized the shop for our inventory and everything, but uh, we are working on improving our web uh, visibility. Mm-hmm. So we'll be on... Be on eBay, be on Amazon, and and uh, be able to buy direct from from internet. Yeah, so you know, I I really encourage people to support your local dive shops. I know Kevin has said it many times. You can buy gear off the internet anywhere, but you can't get air fills, yeah. and you can't get good advice. You can get advice, but I question how good it is. Well, and, and it's it's hard to touch something on the internet. There's times. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I. Gloves. What size are the gloves? Are they the same? Are they the mm-hmm. gloves that you buy for snowmobiling? Is it that size of glove, or is it a a different size? And even yep. with uh, going in the shop and trying gloves that are all exactly the same size by different manufacturers, there always seems to be one or two that just fit that much better. So it's nice to be able to go into a dive shop and and get gear, and then ask somebody like yourself what that. What is a good match? And then you also need it serviced. It is that yeah, time of the year. If you don't have your servicing in, uh, you're, you're, I don't. I don't think it's too late. But the the sooner the better, because it's. I'm I'm sure you're going to yeah. start getting some wait times here pretty soon. Yeah, the sooner the better. I actually uh, caught up on everything we had in the shop because we had our open house last week. So that was you know, focus on getting things cleaned up and ready for open house. Yep. And so this week was my catch-up week to get my service work done, get tanks that have been hydroed, came back and get those visualed, 
uh, rebuild valves, rebuild regulators, you know, get everything caught up. So we, we are ready at our shop. We are. So, you know, definitely support your local shops. Uh, they know your local market. They can help you match up with the gear. It's amazing. I get people who come in and, you know, I won't say I qualify my buyers, but I always try to find out where do they intend to dive? How much do they plan to dive? You know, and are they looking for a three mil wetsuit or a seven mil wetsuit? And when they don't know the difference or they're not sure, that's where you could, you know, uh, a, a rip-off shop could rip them off and sell them all kinds of stuff. Or you could make a good customer happy, turn them into a good customer, and sell them sell them what's right for them. I always try to give people a couple of options. Here's a brand new one, top of the line. This is what it would cost. Here's a used one or a lesser quality. Here's the difference between them. You pick where you want to go. But I always try to give people two to three options and then make a recommendation. You know, point out the pros and the cons and then let them decide. Yeah. And and that's all that you want no matter what you're buying. Even if it isn't dive gear, if it was, you know, appliances or clothing or a used car, you'd, that, I mean, that's the type of advice that you'd love to have. And you, you mentioned on hydros, now is a good time. If you have not been diving over the winter, uh, pull out your tanks and see what your viz is. Uh Nothing is uh, more unfortunate than to get down to the dive shop just wanting you, your tank stopped off with some fresh air and discover that uh, you're going to need a viz on it and you can't go and do that dive that later that day you were planning on. Right. Right. And that viz, it's, it's there for your safety and the safety of the person filling the shop or filling the tanks. Yeah. And when we're talking about a viz, what, what goes into a viz? So if I, when I take my tank in, and have my, my annual viz, what are you looking for as that pro- as part of that process? Well, um, I'm going to, okay, um, this is a little bit of a commercial. I'm certified as a TDI instructor, um, a TDI inspector. So you've got an 18-point checklist that they use. And it starts with the stampings on the tank. Who's the manufacturer? Uh, what was the DOT specification that it was built under? Uh, what was the original hydro date? When was it manufactured? Um, are there any specialties about that? Because some tanks that were built under a an exemption or a special permit, uh, you can't service anymore. They cannot be filled. Either the permit didn't get renewed or the DOT uh, canceled the permit because they found problems and you're not allowed, legally not allowed to fill that tank anymore. So, you know, that's the starting point. Uh, we do a full inspection on the outside of the tank. I've had some people complain because I've taken all the 20 different stickers they've had on their tanks from where they dove to different visuals. You know, they had... 20 years worth of visuals, and they got mad because I took those stickers off. Well, I'm sorry, but you're paying me for a visual inspection, and I can't inspect what I cannot see. So if there's a crack or a dent or a big gouge in that tank under that sticker, I'm not going to see it. And it could be deep enough that it could cause me to have to fail that tank. 
So, you know, the stickers come off so I can inspect the outside. Um, as I'm bleeding any air out of the tank, uh, I'm smelling that air. Is there any kind of odor to it? When you pull the valve out of the tank, I'm inspecting the valve. I'm inspecting the O-rings. I'm inspecting the dip tube. Uh, looking at the pressure relief disc to make sure it's the proper rating for the tank that it's in. Um, then you start the inside inspection, dropping a light down into the tank and inspecting the bottoms, inspecting the sides, uh, looking for rust or looking for oxidation, looking for any damage if the tank has been dropped, uh, if there's been any moisture in it, checking, you know, for any Issues like that. Then you get into the thread inspection. You know, most tanks get failed because there's uh, cracks in the threads. So you've got to inspect those threads all the way around, all the way up and down. Uh, inspect the, what they call the bow or the bulge on the tank. You know, does the tank bow out or does it bolt, you know, concave or convex in? Uh, is it flat? Is it banana shaped? You know, sometimes they'll get a twist to them and start to form a banana shape. Uh, those are all the things that go into a basic visual inspection. And then, you know, we're certifying that tank. We're certifying that it met the standards that have been set by the DOT and adopted by the dive industry. And I'm putting, you know, when I sign that inspection certificate, I'm putting my reputation and the liability for my dive shop on that tank. So that's just a basic tank inspection um, that you get done every year. Mm -hmm. Now, where does an eddy test come into play? Okay. In the mid-70s, Luxfer, Kitty, and a couple of the other manufacturers, Catalina never did change, but they used a different alloy in the aluminum of the tanks. And you'll find, if you look at the tanks, the first few years they did it, it was an SP. If you read a tank, uh, it'll start with DOT, which is Department of Transportation, and then usually it's 3AA for steel or 3AL for aluminum. That 3 indicates that it was what's considered a drawn tank. They take a blank piece of round stock, they put it in a mold. They press a piston down on it in the center that forces the tank to kind of U-shape and protrude out around the shaft of the piston. They pull the piston out, then they heat the tank and kind of fold or squeeze the neck in till they get the full neck. Then they cut it off and cut the threads into it. There's lots of videos on YouTube about how tanks are made, and it's really interesting to look at to see how these things are, are formed. But you've got the the SP code. Instead of it being a 3AA, it might be uh, SP6489 or 6498. That's the most common alloy steel. Or an E6498. Uh, e is for an exemption where they wrote special permission to use this alloy aluminum. And they found that eventually the alloy would crack. It was too brittle. 
And it's not a question of if it would crack. It's more a question of when it will crack. And so they developed this eddy test, which is really a, I don't understand all the science behind it, but it's, even though it's aluminum, it does have some sort of a metal or of a magnetic field to it with the impurities that are in it, etc. And the eddy current test uses this current through a sensor to determine if there's any cracks in the neck and the thread area of the tank. So it's not the easiest instrument to use. You've got to learn to use it. You've got to calibrate it for every tank you do. Um, but it will indicate if it senses micro cracks in the neck of the tank. And then you follow that up with a visual inspection. So you use the eddy current to kind of point out where you really want to look real close with extra magnification. And then if you see them, or even if you don't, you can fail a tank just by eddy current. As I said, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And that's pretty, is that all aluminum tanks that will eventually crack and fail, or is it just certain alloys? No, it's just the alloys. It's it's the alloyed tanks. Uh, there's very few of, you know, all aluminum tanks are susceptible to cracking and failing, but it's the alloys that are the industry concern. I mean, 95 times out of 100, if a tank blows or you hear these, you know, major issues with tanks, it's an alloy tank that went huh. or it wasn't inspected properly um, when at its last, you know, or it's been damaged. And mm-hmm. so, you, you know, the, the big damage for danger for tanks is hairline cracks and or dings and dents from the outside. So, you know, that that's uh, a test. And then a, a hydro test has to be done every five years. And basically a hydro test, they fill the tank with water and then put a cap on it and put it into another tank that's filled with water. And when they do that, the they measure the height of the water. I mean, they put it in the tank and it forces water to go up. And so they can measure, they use the water as constant because the water doesn't compress. Then they fill the scuba tank to five thirds of its rated pressure. So a 3000 PSI tank it's filled to 5,000 PSI. They, that causes the tank to expand, and so extra water is dumped out of the holding reservoir. Then they release the pressure on the tank, bring it back down to atmospheric pressure. That lets the tank squeeze back in, and they measure the amount of water that was pushed out and then comes back in. So the tanks are allowed to expand a certain amount and then have to come back within a certain amount. If they expand too much or don't come back to within the tolerances, then the tank has failed for hydro test. And, and how do they normally fail them? If, if that, do they, I've heard that they cut the tanks. Uh, legally, the tank still belongs to the owner. And what most will do 
is they X out the DOT certification. They stamp it. That's what they're required to do. Okay. Um, some people say you have to drill the tanks. Some people say you have to cut the tanks. What the DOT says is you have to X out the DOT certification. And, and that and should alert as a dive shop tech- to not fill it. Right. And as a fill technician, if the tank comes in that is X'd out, I am not allowed to fill it. You know, it's the same thing with a tank that's out of visual inspection. Visual inspection is not a dive industry requirement. It's a DOT requirement. And the DOT is, is really responsible for the, the transportation because you've got a, a container that's under pressure or has got compressed gas in it. And it's more for the safe transportation of it than really the safe diving. Right. It's the transportation and it's the the control of pressurized vessels. You know, when you're carrying that tank in your vehicle, you're actually transporting a hazardous material because it's under pressure. It's considered a hazardous material. That's why sometimes uh, if you run across a DOT inspection or a truck inspector, inspector, you know, state police uh, transportation inspection, and you've got a truck full of dive tanks, um, you can exceed the standard and actually be cited for transporting hazardous materials. Now, it doesn't happen very often, but there are people out there who love to get you on technicalities. And one argument has been made, well, you know, um, I'm not trans, it's not for commercial use. Well, if you paid for that air, it's a commercial transaction. So unless you compressed the air yourself, put it in your own tanks, transported it for your own use, you're in an area where I think the court, you may not be found guilty, but you're going to have to hire a lawyer to defend yourself. Right. Off, offhand, do you happen to know what is the legal volume that you can transport without placarding? I used to know. I've heard it, but you know, it's it's somewhere in the range of ten to twenty tanks. Yeah. So, so most individuals. But what can happen is if you're, uh, and we've done this before, where you get three or four divers in a vehicle and you start loading it up, you can technically be over that volume. Technically, yes. But yep. Like like you said, so, I don't I don't I haven't had too many DOT operators stopping an SUV <laughs> looking for uh, a lot of compressed air. Yeah, you know, and, and most of the time it's like anything else. If you have a reasonable explanation, you've taken reasonable precautions to secure the tanks. You're not driving like an idiot, <laughs> and you treat the people who stop you with respect uh, and honesty. Most of the time, they're going to let you go, but there is always the exception to the rule. So, it's a good reminder. It's uh, you know here we are in March in in north northern hemisphere. So if you're getting ready for the diving season, you haven't been diving all year, and even if you have, uh, take it take it some time out and uh, check the tanks for both Viz and Hydro because that's I I usually get surprised by the Hydro quicker than I do the Viz. The Viz, you you kind of have an idea. Even though being the cheapskate I am, I usually go to like the debt the last day before I, have, <laughs> before, I, before I have the viz done. But I do think I have one uh, one of my tanks I'll have to drop by. Maybe I'll do that uh, this week 
so that you can get uh, the viz done on that one. Now, when somebody comes in with a viz, do you prefer to have the air already let out of the tank, or does that really matter? Well, I want some air in the tank because, as I said, I sniff the air okay. coming out of the tank, and I'd much rather have a tank come in with you know 500 pounds in it than zero. Uh, if it comes in with 3,000 pounds in it, it just sits outside and blows for a while. <laughs> But, yeah, you you don't want to bring them completely empty. Let's see. Uh, let's, we need to do some shout-outs. We have some of our Patreon supporters that we'd like to thank. Uh, we have uh, Vanessa Homiak. Uh, she has been one of our first Patreons and most loyal supporters. We certainly appreciate her, and we appreciate all our Patreons. And uh, let me go and pull up a list we have a new person who's at that dive nitrox level we have andrew hughes and like to thank andrew for donating at that dive nitrox level and if you're enjoying this show and you think it's at least worth worth a dollar why not go uh donate through our patreon account go to scubaobsessed.com click on over to patreon uh a dollar three dollars or more will get you uh, early copies of the show notes and then uh we need to come up with some uh, Patreon only types of, of perks. We had done the dive bottles earlier in the year and that is, has since ended, but, uh, we do have some other incentives that we'll need to, to come up with. So, uh, again, we certainly appreciate all our supporters and, and we're getting up there. We've, we've got a few. I mean, we're, we're not going to get rich by any means, but it does help cover the costs of, of servers, uh, security certificates, uh, domain names, uh, hosting, uh, and, and new audio gear. And we get to a certain level, and we'll start moving over into the video side. We haven't quite got there yet, but it won't be too much longer. And everybody likes to see video, so that's one thing I'm looking forward to, to getting a chance to play around with. Uh, let's see. Oh, and, and there are some dives going on this weekend. I think uh, Bob is talking about doing a Lake 16 dive. I did see that. And then Kevin had another dive I think he was talking about that he, uh, Matawan? Which I'm not familiar with, yes. Madawan. Uh, so that that sounds interesting. Even if I don't get a chance to go with them this time around, that would be a uh, uh, nice, nice blowing location. It's not too terribly far, but uh, I don't I don't think I've done a Madawan location before. No, that's a interesting lake that I'm looking forward to getting into. You mentioned something about Civil War artifacts. What's what is that? They have apparently found quite a few Civil War artifacts around this lake. Now, the artifacts, are they small items, or are they like a train? I'm not at, well, they're not like a train, but okay. there's been some, some, uh, things you might find at a campsite. Okay. Well, it'll be interesting. So we'll have, we'll, we'll look forward to that, uh, hearing about that dive, uh, when Kevin gets back. Uh, and, and give a shout out to, uh, the chat room. A few more people have shown up. We have S. Nelson. We have Eric. Uh, we have Scuba Tech all in there. So we have been, um, uh, using TalkShoe. I have been playing around with a new, uh, chat software. It's really not, it's aimed more at the gaming industry, but I thought we might give it a try. Uh, I need to set up another computer to be able to bridge the audio from this system to another system to be able to feed it, but, uh, I think we may try that out. So, so keep watching. We'll post it on uh, Patreon, also the Scoob Obsessed website when we do make 
that change. We'll probably do a dry run, so um, it won't be this next week. In fact, this next week will probably be a bye week or a pre-recorded episode. Uh, I'm going to be traveling up to Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan for uh, my son and daughter's robotics competition. They have their high school robot that they're competing in first uh, robotics competition, and it's the Steamworks Challenge this year. So if you haven't had a chance uh, to take a look at that and you're interested in, in Robox or STEM technology, uh, that is that is something certainly to do. They've been having a blast. Uh, they're hoping that they do well enough this next event that they will qualify for state and then maybe have a chance at going to Worlds. Uh, uh, they've done that the last two years, and it would be nice to be able to do it three years in a row. Um, let's see. Do you have anything you want to plug, Jim, before we get out of here? No, not really. I mean, uh, definitely support your local dive shop. If you don't have a local dive shop or you need to get stuff off the gear, off the net, um, you know, keep Wolf's Diver Supply in mind. We're going to have to give Darren some money for sponsorship. But, uh, <laughs> um, I, 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 Darren, you can cut this out or edit this out or anything you want, but uh, I've been a customer there for over 25 years and the shops one of the oldest in the country i know we're not the oldest there's a couple shops on the west coast that started before walter started this shop but the shop has been around since 1956 wow yeah they've celebrated i think this was the 62nd year that they've been in business 60 62 years of scuba diving. So that yeah. has to be uh, a significant portion of the modern scuba diving era they have been around. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When when Walter first started, he was cutting and gluing together his own wetsuits. <laughs> you know, it's before there were, you know, uh, manufacturers out there to do it. Your local shops did it. And, you know, I, I go back, you know, we've talked, I think, on the podcast about a popular science or popular mm-hmm. mechanics it was popular mechanics article well i finally got the magazine an original copy of the magazine that talks about building your own aqua lung or dive lung as they called it out of an old steam regulator well i've got the magazine and i've got the double tanks with the steam regulator connector on it you know i was going through some of our vintage stuff that we've had on the wall and a uh, a former scuba pro um, representative came in and said, you've got our first regulator up on the wall and our second and our third. <laughs> and he says, Healthways, man, that's even older than ours. So we've got a lot of great old artifacts out there. Um, you know, kind of a diving museum. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, the shop's been around a long time. Um, we want repeat customers. Uh, we try to match the gear to what you're going to do and, you know, not oversell you, but get you what's going to work at a reasonable price. I joke around, uh, there's, uh, some other dive shops in our area that are more like dive resort shops. And I say, those are the wine and cheese shops and we're a beer and pretzel shop. <laughs> that's, that's a good comparison. So if you haven't had so a chance if you need to, something, 
I'm sorry. If you need something, your local dive shop doesn't have it. Check us out, especially if it's something older. We, you would be amazed. I've got decor parts and decor <laughs> regulators all over the place. <laughs> and, you, and you and you do have some good deals down there. So we try to. Yeah, we we mix the old with the new. Certainly appreciate that, and uh, like you said, you know, support your local dive shop. There's a lot of dive shops out there, and uh, you know, hopefully, we turn this industry around and diving takes off, and all the shops do well. But uh, if you're if you're not going and visiting your local dive shops, don't be surprised when they're long, no longer there anymore. Yeah, and if you're not getting out and diving, why? Why yeah. not? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's a great sport. I was talking to some people today. They were they stopped in the shop. Their parents own the Ginny Springs uh, oh, resort, wow. and so they were talking about that. yeah. Their parents wow. own that. They have you know they grew up there at Ginny Springs, and now their kids are third generation uh, swimming and diving there at Ginny Springs. And they came in, and I was showing them some photos of the Great Lakes shipwrecks. And, you know, they were just amazed at the beauty of these wooden schooners sitting on the bottom. Um, you know, Jenny Springs is crystal clear and warm and in sunny Florida. Uh, but, you know, I can't say enough about the beauty of the shipwrecks in the Great Lakes. It's the only place in the world you're going to find wooden boats sitting on the bottom that you swear if you floated them, they would sail. And, and there are, and we've, we've seen photos of them. Uh, the Thomas Hume, which is on my short list to try and figure out how I, I can get on that here pretty soon. I, I guess I need to break down and, and do that, that tech class. Uh, well, Thomas Hume, you don't have to be tech. It's just strictly, it's a little bit deeper than sport. Yeah. Well, which, but it's not that bad. Which I've, I've done that before. But I think that's just going to be teasing me because I'm going to get down. I'm going to get to that depth where I'm going to say it's safe not to, to, to stay right here. And I'm going to look. It's going to be like going to a buffet and somebody's got to pass you, uh, what you get to eat, you know, you, you, when you really want to get in there and do it yourself. So, well, you know, I'm a, a big advocate of expanding your boundaries. You know, training is, a, is necessary. Certification, you know, anybody can make a certificate up. Your certificate's not worth the paper it's printed on if the training that you took to get it isn't there. You know, one of my big issues is I've been diving for a long time and was doing ice dives under the ice before there was an ice diving certification or a dry suit certification or a Thursday, second Thursday of each week, you know, in a muddy pool certification. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I, Don't I, get hung up on the paperwork. Get hung up on the training. Right. And and it's it's. I mean, there's always room for more training to learn something and learn learn something every dive you go in and from everybody you meet and you'll get out there and to be a better diver. But I certainly understand where you're coming from. Because I've I've felt that same way when there's been the type of diving I've been doing forever, and then you you talk to somebody and they go, yeah, we're, we we've got a charter. Oh, but you have to have X card to get it. Well, guess what? You know, if it's something I've been doing for a long time and I feel real comfortable doing it, I don't think I'm gonna fork over the money to let you teach me how to do what I'm already doing. Yeah, you know, you're you're buying someone else's peace of mind 
So the charter operator can say, well, he showed me the card. Yeah. You know, and, and unfortunately that's, you know, with lawsuits and liability and everybody being, being the way they are, I can understand it, but it's also tough to have to fork out money to get a card for something you've already proven you can do. Yeah. So that's just my personal soapbox. Yeah. At at the same time we say that, uh, like Jim said, it's important to get proper training. And uh, as a disclaimer for the podcast, uh, the podcast is not a substitute for training. Uh, Get with a diving agency that you know or somebody you can personally vouch for who's qualified to give you that level of instruction and and learn from them. Right. Definitely. I mean, we offer all the classes. We've got a great uh, team of instructors who we work with. And I'm not trying to take you know, money out of their pocket or bread off their table. But, you know, I've always said Patty stands for pay another dive instructor. <laughs> I say that jokingly, but, you know, um, certifying agencies are in the business of selling certifications. Yeah. Yeah, and you, and, and it's, a, it's a valid thing no matter what industry you're in or what you're looking at doing is trying to understand the – the motivation and the, of of the person that you're doing business with, and not that making money is a is a terrible motivation, but understand that that might be what they are. You know, when you look at a dive shop and you see them selling all the trips, that tells you that must that maybe where how they keep their business afloat. That whatever the mix is, that's what they need to do. And it seems that each dive shop or dive industry operator has a slightly different mix that they need to cater to to remain viable because if you can't mm-hmm. pay the bills and keep the lights on you know there's the passion goes the ways but it can only go so far yep yep so well let's uh, i think we're to that that time of the show so are you ready i am ready i am seated i have drink in my hand and i am ready yeah i think i'll, I think I'll take all this a little bit of more drink and uh I think I'm ready as well. And this one has been heavily edited and modified because the original version was not fit for the internet. I think I had internet cops coming out after me. So it was edited, wow. made, made a little bit more politically safe. It came from Rob from New Zealand. So, uh, I said Rob, Rod, thank you once again for contributing to the show. And if you've got any bad scuba jokes, go ahead and send them our way. Oh, and I did have, um, and we'll cover it next week. Well, actually, maybe next week might might be too late. I was going through my email. You know, this is probably the longest ending we've done of something that probably ended about twenty minutes ago. But uh, uh, I I was going through my we, we moved servers earlier this year, and somebody sent me an email, and I completely missed it. So if you send a message and you don't hear us talk about it on the podcast, or I don't email you back. It probably somehow f- slipped through the cracks, and I apologize. And, and go ahead and send it again. Um, the contact page on our website is a good way to do it. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Uh, and I usually keep a good eye on them, but, it, you know, life gets in the way sometimes, and uh, they they can get missed. And as I'm, I'm, I'm stalling right now trying to find the email, because I forwarded it to myself to freshen it up, and I'm not finding it again. Let me look at my my junk uh, account. But uh, somebody had mentioned, we did an article a few weeks ago about a scuba instructor who was swimming in the river. And one of our listeners 
was saying that she decided since she was going on a trip there, she'd look it up, and the exact town where she was heading for the trip at the end of March was the one that had flooded. So we look forward to hearing about it, and I was going to give her a shout-out today, and now I, even though I afford it to myself, I, I'm and how, how bad and sad is this? I probably caught and caught in my own spam filter. So we'll read the letter uh, in an upcoming episode, but she'll probably already be back. So if she hears this, uh, drop us a line. We're, we're interested in hearing how it went. And if you meant, if you actually met the instructor who was, uh, scuba diving in the, in the road. Mm, good. Hey, I got a question. Yes. If, if this joke came from Rod in New Zealand, mm-hmm. New Zealand's in the Southern hemisphere, right? Yes. Do I have to stand on my head for this to make sense? I don't think it'll make sense no matter which way you're listening to it, but uh, I'd be interested to, to hear how that works for you. Okay. Okay, so here we go. Ed and Dan were a couple of warm water scuba divers from up north. While on the diving trip to Orlando, they were walking along a street downtown. Ed looked in one of the shop windows and saw a sign that caught his eye. The sign read, suits $5 each, shirts $3 each, trousers four fifty a pair. Ed said to his pal, Dan, look at those prices. We could buy the whole lot, and then when we get back uh, up north, we can make a fortune. Now, when we go in, you stay quiet, okay? Let me do the talking, because if they hear you talk, they might think we don't know how to negotiate and try and screw us. Certainly, Ed, I'll keep my mouth shut. You do all the business, said Dan. They go in, and Ed says, Hello, my good man. I'll take 50 suits for $5, 100 suits for $3, and 50 pair of trousers for 450 each. And I'll back up my truck, and we'll load them all up. The owner of the shop quietly said, um, you're warm water scuba divers from up north, aren't you? Well, yes, surprised Ed. What gave it away? The owner replied, this is a dry cleaners. Do I need to insert crickets there? Hello? Boy, it's a good thing the connection got broken and we didn't hear <laughs> that punchline. <laughs> you didn't hear the punchline? Or are you just pretending? You Not were? yet. Oh. At what point did I lose you? You didn't. Oh. Oh, I think on that note. (laughs) Your attempt. Yeah. Keep those jokes coming. (laughs) We tried. So, So until next time, go out there and get wet. And for Mac, stay safe. For Kevin, have fun. And remember, no New Zealanders were hurt in the production of tonight's cast. Recording has been completed. All right.